Have you ever had a moment when something happens and you are trying to make sense of it? It seems foreign or strange in some way, and you don't have a place really in your experience to organize what just occurred. Sometimes it happens in a tragedy. Sometimes it happens in a joyful opportunity. But if you can be in touch with that experience, that emotional connection, when you can't quite make sense of what has just taken place or what is taking place, then you know where the disciples were that morning when they encountered the empty tomb. It was early, still dark outside, when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Jesus had been placed in this borrowed tomb in haste because it was the time of preparation for the Passover and wanting to remove Jesus' body from the cross and put it to rest before the preparation for the Passover was to begin. He laid in a borrowed tomb. And so Mary was going a couple of days later to prepare Jesus' body properly for burial. And when she arrived at the tomb, the stone was rolled away and Jesus was not in there. Now, to her mind, she thought, what has happened? Someone has taken him. Why else would there not be a body where it was laid to rest? And so she runs back to get the disciples to help her make sense of what has occurred and what needs to occur next. And Simon Peter and the beloved disciple race to the tomb to see it as well. They stand outside of the tomb to gather their bearings, to absorb what they are seeing, to make note of where things are laid and what kind of clue that might give them for where they can find Jesus' body. And it's at that time that the beloved disciple remembers what Jesus has said, remembers what they have witnessed in Jesus' life and ministry, and believes that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's the first one to believe it. It takes a little while for the disciples to collectively recall, oh, that's right. It is possible that Jesus could not be in the tomb. Because do you not remember that he raised Lazarus from the dead? And Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. No one has ever raised someone from the dead before. And that miracle followed on another miracle when Jesus made a man who was born blind able to see. No one had ever done that before either. And so the disciples are beginning to get their bearings about what it is that has taken place, that Jesus is not in the tomb. And he's not in the tomb not because his body was stolen, but because his body was raised to new life. What does this mean, that Jesus is raised to new life? In Jesus' resurrection, we have been given the power over sin in our lives. In Jesus' resurrection, we remember that there is no victory in death, that death does not have the last word. In Jesus' resurrection, we come to see that Satan has been conquered. 
when I meet with families to prepare for baptism, we review the baptismal covenant. And in that baptismal covenant, there are three renunciations and there are three affirmations. Three of the renunciations have to do with evil. And one of them says, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Why well, always have a good time of inviting the parents to tell me what Satan looks like? And they sit there for a moment, kind of looking at one another like, should we know this answer? <laughs> After a moment, we all agree that we're not exactly sure. Maybe Satan does have horns. Maybe Satan does have a um, speared tail. None of us have actually seen a character that looks that way, except perhaps on Halloween. But what we do know is that we do not want evil around our children. Undeniably, we know collectively that we want that far away from these people that we love. And so we have the opportunity and the power to renounce Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. We have been given that power in Jesus' resurrection. And in Jesus' resurrection, we then have the power over sin in our lives. And in Jesus' resurrection, we know that death does not have the last word, that Christ has victory over death. And so we do not need to fear it. We do not need to fear death in this life or in the life to come. I had a time in my life where I worked for a particularly difficult person. He was known to drive his staff hard and to pretty much chew them up and spit them out. There were many people who had worked for him and had come out the other side beaten up and in worse shape than they began with him. At this one particular time in my work with him, one of my colleagues was the recent casualty. And it hurt her deeply. She said to me in the weeks that followed her dismissal, she said, Whitney, I think you're next. She said, I see a bull's eye on your forehead. And I said to her, perhaps that's true, but I also have the sign of the cross on my forehead. In Jesus' resurrection, we are given power over sin. And I knew that if some laser beam should line up exactly right and the shot be fired, that it would not kill me. How liberating to engage life knowing that there are no powers that can thwart God's goodness and love in this world. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can live into that truth. We have been given power to do that. In Jesus' resurrection, he companions us into the future. He comes alongside of us to show us how to refuse sin. He gives us the strength to claim life in the face of death. He reminds us that Satan has already been conquered. It's not our job, but it is our job to trust in him and to live a life that reflects our trust in him, our trust in the power of the resurrection.
So what does this mean for us as resurrected people? As people who live in this resurrected life? It means that we are able to see ourselves and others as God sees us. It means that we have the power to forgive. It means that we remember deep within ourselves that Jesus loves us. This is a liberating way in which to live. I remember working with someone, a parishioner who came to me and um, confessed to me that she was having a real difficult time forgiving a particular person. She had tried several times very intentionally to practice forgiveness for this person who had hurt her. And I wanted to encourage her. I wanted to remind her to not lose heart. But I also wanted to acknowledge that this is not easy. Forgiveness is not something that we come by easily. And so I sought to remind her of God's forgiveness. And I said to her, don't try to give him forgiveness. But can you pass on to him God's forgiveness? Can you just pass on the forgiveness that God has to offer? Jesus, in uh, in the resurrection, gives us the capacity and the power to forgive because we don't have it within ourselves. We can't dig deep and be forgiving people. We can only be agents of forgiveness. It is only because we are resurrected people that we can pass on the forgiveness that God has to offer. And we are able more fully to do that when we remember how it is that God sees us and we remember how it is that God sees others. I have enlisted God's forgiveness and love for other people because I haven't had it within myself. But I think, how does God look on this person? And can I practice doing the same, allowing God's love and forgiveness to be made known in this situation? When we live as resurrected people, we see ourselves as God sees us, and we see one another as God sees us. We have the power to forgive, and we know deep within ourselves that Jesus loves us. And when we know deep within ourselves that Jesus loves us, it changes everything. The beloved disciple in John's fourth gospel is the one that runs with Simon Peter to the tomb. I believe that this is a young person, and that's why he beats Simon Peter to the tomb. But Simon Peter comes, and he hangs back, ready to follow the leader, one of the fellow disciples of Jesus. The beloved disciple is in John's gospel only. There's no mention of him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And scholars have spent all of this time since the writing of that fourth gospel, which is around 80 A.D., wrestling with exactly who this beloved disciple is. Well, I believe the beloved disciple is one that only knew himself by that name. He understood his identity as the beloved disciple, as one loved by Jesus. And he traded in his given name for that, because that was who he understood himself to be. We, too, are loved by God in Christ. 
It is in Christ's death and resurrection that God demonstrates God's love for us. That God shows us how God sees us and invites us to see ourselves in that way and to see one another in that way. And in doing that, we have the power to forgive. And in doing that, we remember deep in the very core of our being that Jesus loves us. And when we remember that Jesus loves us, it changes everything. Amen. Amen. Amen.